Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome everybody back to another episode with Lisa and Pam of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Today, we're so excited to have Rich Campagna, our Zscaler's own SVP of cloud protection. There are so many conversations about cloud protection and so forth. So we're excited to have you, Rich. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This should be fun. Rich, you know, there isn't a day that goes by where there isn't a conversation with a prospect, a customer, a peer around moving to the cloud. And some of them are are thinking about their strategy. Some are early in their journey and some are well along the way. What are some of the things that those organizations that are early in their journey, what should they be thinking about when they're thinking about moving to the cloud? Uh, You know, Pam, pretty much every day I hear the same thing from organizations that we're speaking with. And I hear the term, the term is Wild West. I hear this all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure you do as well, right? And typically the conversation goes something like, hey, we have this, this environment in the cloud, doesn't matter which one it is, AWS, Azure, GCP, that is pretty well governed and locked down. You know, we, we know what types of data and applications we have running there. And uh, we have pretty good guardrails in place to ensure that new stuff comes into the cloud, it's appropriately secured. And then I hear, but we also have this other environment that's kind of like the Wild West. That environment was spun up by some application development team, and we have no idea what's running there, and we have no control whatsoever over this Wild West environment. I think that oftentimes that's kind of a symptom of a couple of different things. What I would encourage customers to do is to start by, you know, at the beginning of this cloud journey, start by developing relationships with the application development teams across the various different groups. When you move to cloud, there's some amount of, whether we like it or not, balance of power shift in that direction. And oftentimes, these Wild West environments come up as a result of InfoSec teams kind of pushing back or finding reasons to say no rather than finding ways to say yes to some Mm -hmm. of these types of things. So that's important. That application development team starts to become a really key partner to an InfoSec team early on in the cloud journey. And if you don't kind of embrace that partnership and find ways to say yes, you end up with these Wild West types of environments, which are so difficult to get a handle on after the fact, as opposed to upfront. So that's what I would say. If you're early in the cloud journey, start there. Develop relationships with the application development teams and figure out how you can say yes. So Rich, I love it. I, I've never referred to it as the Wild West. We always refer to it as shadow IT. And, sure. and you're right, shadow IT for a lot of organizations they went ahead and spun up instances in a bunch of different cloud solutions. They weren't the ones to understand how to protect it because they were the app developers. And so I think it's awesome advice. And even if they're in their journey, hey, retract a bit. Did you check? And where is your shadow IT? Because I know using the Zscaler technology, we were able to actually identify various clouds that we saw individuals going to and then actually call them up and say, hey, Rich, why are you going to that cloud? What are you doing over there? That's not sanctioned. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, you guys didn't have a process or you told me no or whatever. I do see a lot of organizations and I see a lot of talking to peers of that kind of chuckle because they're like, yeah, we got those people. We know we have them, but where is it? So it's one thing to find it and then secure it, right? But, but if you had organizations that, um, is that the same advice you would give those that were already on their journey? Like, should they be monitoring that? 
ongoing? Or is there something else that if they've already moved to cloud, they pretty much have things where they want it to be? Is there something else they should be thinking about? Or is it really, hey, just kind of keep a pulse on it? You certainly need to continue to think about that for all time, I suppose, right? I mean, these things pop up at any given time. Maybe there's some new, I don't know, Google Cloud AI service that some development team wants to use and there previously was no footprint in Google Cloud. Or your company acquires some other company and that brings with it, you know, some number of cloud environments. And so that, you know, what I just said, that has to persist. As you get a little further along in the cloud journey, I think things expand in multiple directions, right? Obviously more projects across the teams as they start to embrace more and more cloud, more clouds themselves. I mean, maybe you start with just Azure as an example and expand out into some of the other, you know, major CSPs and importantly, more services and more services is a really important one. Oftentimes when organizations start in the cloud journey, they start with some relatively simple projects, lift and shift perhaps of the traditional set of application workloads to the cloud. And you're still dealing with basic compute and storage services and a few other things kind of related to traditional applications running in the cloud. But then as cloud kind of matures, there's almost always a shift towards more and more cloud native services. And if you look at the amazing innovation that the big CSPs have been on this journey of over the last five to 10 years, they're cranking out tons of different services, each of which have fantastic value to the customer, but also each of which have some sort of risk profile, right? And so if you think about, and I think the last time I looked at Azure, they had something, it was north of 200 services just in Azure alone. So let's say there's 500 services just across the big three CSPs. If I'm an InfoSec professional and I'm, I'm dealing with any one of these 500 services coming into my organization at any given point in time now, based on you know an application development team that I don't want to slow down because they're innovating and enabling the business to grow, one of those 500 services, each of which has a number of different features and functions that may have some impact on overall risk profile of that particular service, this becomes an intractable problem very quickly. I don't have anyone on my team that knows all 500 of those services, let alone knows how to take every single one of those thousands now of configuration options and map them back into either my own internal policies or some th- sort of industry framework that we follow like CIS or NIST or a regulatory scheme that we have to abide by like a PCI or HIPAA or what have you, GDPR. And so this explosion happens pretty quickly inside of an organization. And so that's where I think the advice changes. Things are are new, but relatively simple early on in the journey because you have kind of a limited number of services typically in use. And then that explodes pretty quickly and getting a handle on this big explosion is probably the most, the most important thing for teams to watch out for as the cloud journey matures inside of the organization. It's actually kind of scary because we're trying to simplify to get the operational efficiencies, but at the same time, to your point, organizations may have simplified and gotten those efficiencies when they moved to cloud. But now there's all those options that present potential risk unless they have a handle on it and keeping that handle. So it gets kind of scary for some organizations because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, in my previous life, whenever anybody said cloud to me, I said, go away because I was focused on the security aspects of it. And as far as I was concerned, you were moving your security problems to a rack you couldn't reboot and making them more complicated because now who's responsible for what? Yeah, I agree. But I think what cloud has proven for a lot of organizations over the last several years is that it it can be more secure 
if embraced properly, than traditional data center environment. I mean, these, these cloud providers have, at least for their part of what they call the shared responsibility model, billions of dollars worth of motivation to ensure that those services and that infrastructure is as secure as possible and that it has the right sort of parameters in place for organizations to take on their part of the shared responsibility model and secure their piece. So early on, it has been, it was daunting for a large number of organizations, but now I think they're starting to see some of the benefits and the fact that they can keep this more under control than typical data center environment usually. Yeah, and I think one of the problems is terminology. I mean, there are so many changes so, for example, how do you see cloud workload protection versus cloud protection in general? What do those mean relative to each other? Here's how I think about this. Regardless of what terminology what analyst comes up with or kind of catches wind in the press, I kind of think of this as there's a hierarchy. At the base is sort of infrastructure protection. Maybe this is what you just referred to as cloud protection. This is broad sets of posture-related capabilities that kind of extend across the entire deployment, you know, your entire cloud footprint, and usually typically across multiple clouds. Mm-hmm. Then you move up kind of this stack that I'm thinking of into the workload itself. And then above that, perhaps, is the realm of application security. And if I'm thinking about this cloud infrastructure protection versus cloud workload protection, I think of it getting back to kind of like security basics. I think of it as sort of like brushing your teeth and flossing. So if I said to you, hey, Lisa, you can pick one for the rest of your life. You can brush your teeth or you can floss. What do you pick? Oh, I would totally brush my teeth. I hate flossing. Okay. And Pam, how about you? Okay, I totally freak out because I got to do both. I do too, but you can only pick one in this scenario, Pam. Oh my God, I don't know. You got to (laughs) choose. God, I think I'd have to brush my teeth because no one would want to be around me. (laughs) I think we all would, right? So the cloud infrastructure protection is kind of like brushing your teeth with a relatively small amount of effort, especially with your fancy electronic toothbrush, you're able to cover like 90% of everything. And so in the cloud infrastructure world, what is that? We're going to do things like reduce our externally exposed attack surface to the extent possible. We're going to cut down on the risk of lateral threat movement. We're going to ensure that we have policies in place that look at things like you know, like these configuration, these various different services and automatically map things like remediation to whatever we're trying to abide by, things like CIS and NIST, which are sort of those best practices around posture in, in one of these cloud environments. And so when we do that, we're taking, you know, a small number of steps to cover pretty much everything that's deployed across the cloud environment. But despite that, there still may be some plaque in between our teeth or pieces of food or whatever. And that's where we need to get into flossing. And this is where the workload piece comes in. Regardless of how much effort you put into you know, trying to protect kind of that underlying infrastructure, there's still the possibility that some bad actor or some malicious piece of software, what have you, will get in. And this is where you kind of move to that next step, which is around the workload itself. You want to ensure that your all of your workloads that, you're, that are being pushed into the cloud are relatively free of vulnerabilities. You want to be sure that you're continuing to monitor the behavior of those workloads after they're running in your cloud environments to ensure that they're exhibiting appropriate behavior given that particular application workload, whatever it may be. So that's kind of how I think of it. For most organizations, you start with brushing your teeth with the cloud infrastructure protection tools like CSPM or CIM that we that are very commonly deployed across cloud environments, focusing on things like hiding as much of that cloud workload footprint as possible by reducing your externally exposed attack surface. Because as you both know, 
if they can't find the application or the workload, they can attack it. And then from there, moving up into the things that are a bit more, you know, less broadly applied in a single fell swoop, but still very important around protecting and securing the workload itself that's running now on that infrastructure. Cool. So if an organization really wants to focus on a technology approach to cloud workload protection, what would you say is the technology approach to that? I mean, CSPM and CIEM are more cloud infrastructure protection. So what is cloud workload protection's equivalent? Great question. So cloud workload protection kind of cuts across a couple of different areas. There's some amount of let's call it vulnerability scanning and remediation that you typically see inside of these environments. And typically the idea there is to, even before workload is pushed into a cloud environment, you identify, scan for, and mitigate vulnerabilities in your your development lifecycle. And then you continuously scan for those vulnerabilities after the workload has been pushed into the cloud environment. That's sort of one piece, sort of this identification of the composition of the workload and pulling in all these open source libraries and whatever else, let's make sure that we're as free as possible from at least the high and critical vulnerabilities that are out there. That's one piece. The next piece is around runtime protection. So this is very much about controlling the behavior of the workload as it runs in that environment and continuing to monitor to make sure that we're not exhibiting malicious or very suspicious behaviors. And so there are a couple of different approaches, right? The traditional approach to cloud workload protection has kind of involved agent-based technologies that are deployed on the, say, the workload itself and doing some of this behavior monitoring and control. The challenge there is that as you move to a lot of these services that we talked about before, more and more of these cloud native services, the ability to kind of install an agent in some of these new services becomes limited. And so a traditional kind of VM workload running on some compute service inside of the public cloud infrastructure, sure, install an agent. This is just some Linux VM that's running, and we can, we can do that and do that kind of control. But then when you move to something like a serverless function, as an example, like a Lambda or Azure functions, there's no longer any ability to, to install an agent or even some of the managed container services, like a Fargate, as an example. You don't have access to the underlying host and therefore no ability to install this agent. So increasingly, what we're seeing is a lot of these runtime behavioral control capabilities moving from the workload itself more and more into the network with more agentless solutions. And so this is where, to cite a Zscaler example, things like our zero trust for workloads offering starts to fit with controlling the way that a workload is able to communicate on, on the network, either within a cloud environment, across the cloud event environments, out to the internet, et cetera. So long story short, things like vulnerability scanning and mitigation and behavioral control either delivered on the workload itself or on the cloud network adjacent to the workload. That's awesome because Rich, I was actually going to, I'm sitting here correlating in my mind. Can you talk a little bit of how the cloud workloads and the cloud protection actually fits into the Zscaler Zero Trust Exchange, kind of how those components fit within the portfolio? Yeah. So we have what's called two major components to our cloud protection portfolio. One is very much focused on cluster management, visibility, and control. And the other one is very much focused on this runtime protection. And I just referred to one of them. The first one takes technologies like cloud security, cluster management, cloud infrastructure, entitlement management, a couple of key areas, and helps an organization with primarily that infrastructure-based visibility and control that we talked about before, what Lisa referred to as cloud protection. And so here, what we're doing is helping an organization understand the risk posture of their cloud deployment at the infrastructure and the services layer. 
So that problem I talked about before, where we may have hundreds of different services and we don't know how to map them to CIS or NIST, we probably have dozens of human identities inside of a cloud environment and hundreds or if not thousands of service identities inside of a cloud environment. And all of those may have excessive entitlements and permissions. We're looking at all of these things, helping to cut down on the attack surface by modifying the configuration and things like identities and permissions inside of these cloud environments to help provide that strong toothbrushing foundation that we talked about before. So that's one piece that increasingly what folks like Gartner and other analysts are calling this category is CNAP or Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. Perhaps one more letter in that acronym that I would prefer, but I think they've run out of four-letter acronyms, so we're now to five and then six now. So that's one piece. Let's build kind of a strong foundation for our cloud environment. And then the second piece is this runtime control that I talked about before with the Zero Trust for Workloads offering, which is controlling what a workload can do on the network itself. Number of use cases here, so we'll call it east-west traffic within a cloud environment traffic across cloud environments and importantly back into the data center. There are tons of, most organizations have some level of not only multi-cloud, but hybrid cloud types of deployments. And then workload traffic out to the internet as well. And with this piece of the offering, Zero Trust for Workloads offering, this is where the Zscaler Zero Trust Exchange comes into play. I'm sure many of your audience for this podcast are Zscaler customers or people that have some familiarity with Zscaler already. And for those folks, they'll know that a lot of what Zscaler has done in the past has been focused on users. And these two flagship products that we have, Zscaler Internet Access, which provides secure user access to the internet, and Zscaler Private Access, which provides zero trust remote access to internal applications running in a cloud or in a data center. What we've done is we've taken this global high-performance, this widely distributed environment in the same services, DIA and ZPA, but re-architected the deployment model for the specific needs of public cloud workloads. So for organizations, whether they're Zscaler customer or not, they can still benefit from the Zero Trust Exchange cloud, as well as things like the DLP and threat prevention capabilities and services like ZIA and the Zero Trust-based strategy for access, but in this case, workload access to other workloads across your global cloud footprint and in your data centers as opposed to user-based access. Those are the two key areas. The CNAP is looking at identifying and helping to remediate cloud risk. And the Zero Trust for Workloads is active runtime protection for what that workload is doing in the network itself. Cool breakdown. If we go back to the CNAP for a second, doesn't the cloud provider generally offer some element of that? I mean, why would a customer look to Zscaler for this? Do we replace the cloud provider protection or complement it, or is it really situational? This is really situational. I mentioned before the shared responsibility model. Largely, the, the base offerings from the cloud providers are focused on, we're going to do our part to secure the infrastructure that these services are running on. As you kind of implied, many of these providers are investing in security services. So there's some overlap, but mostly this, this is complement. A couple of key things. First of all, anyone in a multi-cloud scenario, which let's face it is most organizations these days, wants to standardize on policies across clouds. So this is the biggest kind of most obvious piece. This is just something that's not possible if you're using each CSP's native security services. Yeah. Right? And so that's a big starting point, and especially when you're looking at these hundreds of services that I talked about before and mapping into your, let's call it your regulatory framework, whatever that may be, that's a big challenge. And I think another big piece is that things like connectivity are largely up to the organization itself. And if you think about this, if I was 
AWS, just to, not to point them out in particular, but just to set an example, right? I've spent billions on not only building these services, but building this globally distributed cloud with all these different regions and availability zones. And all, you know, all of that investment is really just a means to get as many single cloud customers as possible. I'm highly motivated as this AWS whoever I'm thinking of right now to ensure that as many customers as possible are spending all their money in AWS and split, instead of splitting it 50-50 between AWS and Azure. So if you think about even something like basic connectivity across a multi-cloud environment, this is largely DIY because Amazon doesn't want to build a service to connect me to Azure, nor does Azure want to build a service to, to AWS. And so what a lot of organizations fall back on is things of the past that they've moved away from already on the user side. So it's common to hear, okay, every single one of my cloud instances, let's say I've got a firewall with a VPN behind it, and I've built this flat network now where I have exposed attack surface at every single one of my cloud instances. And the ability with this multi-point VPN for good traffic, but also bad traffic to move laterally with a lot of ease across the environment. And so there's a lot of these things the cloud providers just aren't motivated to think about, but are really big concerns for an organization looking to protect their cloud estate. And that's just a couple. I can go on and on about this. But oh, yeah. So a flat network with full mesh IPsec VPN, the 90s called, and they want their security model back. Exactly. But everyone's got it because there's nothing else unless they're, of course, a Zscaler customer and have invested in zero trust for workloads. So Rich, this has been wonderful. As we kind of wrap up this conversation, is there just one key takeaway that you would offer organizations looking at cloud workload protection with them moving towards it as advice? Yeah, I would say start with the basics, right? We talked about this a couple of times. Cloud doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be daunting. There are a lot of new technologies out there, but there's also a lot that we've learned from the last 30 years of user protection and data center protection that we can apply here. So let's learn from the past, but start with kind of the basics. You want to ensure that you have a secure configuration. You want to ensure that you're pushing towards least privilege types of principles from the beginning. And importantly, you want to ensure that you're reducing your externally exposed attack surface and reducing the risk of lateral threat. I mean, none of those things are new. It's just old things applied to a new environment here. Right. We keep expanding the definition of zero trust. The original white paper, it was on-premise users going to a local resource. And then we had to expand that to include cloud-hosted resources and mobile users. Then we had to start thinking about protecting the users as well as the resources. And now we're extending that protection to the cloud. So we're really seeing the evolution of zero trust in real time here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you joining us to share all this great information. Look forward to maybe having you back on in the future to talk in more detail about some of these topics. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. Cool, thanks. And thanks, everybody, for joining us again. As always, hit us up on LinkedIn if you have topics that you would like to hear about. And we hope you'll join us for future episodes of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.